turn, if you will, to uh, 2 Corinthians. I'm going to put a Bible on the stairs after all. And those who feel led, we want to give a love offering to this precious couple. We don't get to see them very often. And uh, just so glad for what God's doing with you. Let me read to you just two verses. He's been describing how the Macedonian church have been so responsive in taking a love offering for the poor Jewish church that is suffering horrendous persecution. And what a thrill it must be for Paul, the Gentile apostle, to be able to in laboring against the wall of division between Jew and Gentile to be able to say, my Gentile brothers send you this offering in Jesus' name because we're the same. We've been made one in Christ. And when he's doing that, he's describing what a poor, poor church happened to do for the sake of their brethren. Then he moves into something that is astounding he used a poor church. Now he's going to use the richest person in all the universe to say how he gives when he gives. I picked about the poorest church I know of that out of their deep poverty, they gave, and this astounds me, they gave and they gave beyond themselves. How do you give beyond yourself? I don't know. When you don't have it to start with, they gave Oh, by the way, they first gave themselves to the Lord. I, I get that. But then they gave beyond their ability to give. How do you give beyond your ability to give? When you get that figured out, let me know. That is an amazing statement. A poor church that gave beyond their ability to give. Whatever that is. However much. He never does talk about amounts. God could care less about amounts. He cares about heart. In inward motivation. Then he comes to the richest person who ever gave and could give. And he says, verse 8, I am not commanding you, and I wish I could on giving. I said give, and you'd already be looking for another church. Because to tell Americans to do anything is tough, but especially giving. You can't command because you would end grace giving. We're not under law. We're not under command. We're under higher motivation. It says here, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. You said you wanted to help. Well, let me tell you of a poorer church than you have already done it. I thought you ought to know it. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, that you through his poverty might become rich. Before we try to look at the application and meaning of this verse, uh, I thought of it's quite striking when you use Jesus as an example of how to give. And I thought of the common phrase we use, well, 
We ought to be like Jesus. Have you ever heard that? I'm listening. Every time I'm gone, you all take a silence vow. Like churches to be a morgue. I can hear silence anytime. I'm trying to hear somebody agrees with the word. Christianity was not meant to be a spectator sport. We, part, we come to church to worship, not to breathe heavy, to worship. And if you've not chilled out yet, may God loosen you up. You had a love that burned. What happened, Laodicea? Because he uses the word in the Greek, you lost your zeal. In the Greek, you lost your burn. That's what it means. And we say, well, uh, I want to be an example. Well, let me ask you, have you walked on the water lately? If you do, wear pontoons. Because I don't think you're going to make it. Go ahead, honey. Claim it. Name it. Claim it all you want. You're still going to drown. Have you made any wine lately? Just turn it. He's my example. What do you see the example of? Uh, it is amazing to me. He's an example on how to be a husband, and he never was a husband. Let me give you six ways. Just mention it, and then we'll go back to 2 Corinthians. Um, look at John 13. We just look at these and ways to be an example. I want to be like Jesus. Well, we want you to also. We think you'll be easier to live with. But besides that, look at John 13, verse 12. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? Well, it would be too hard to understand just washing a, a Jewish uh, festival did not have other Jewish men washing feet. You had slaves that did that. But so do you know what I've done? Well, I don't think they did. He wouldn't have asked the question. He asked them, you call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Clearly an example. And you don't have a clue of what he said if you don't want to understand it. Here I'm wanting to show you the full extent of my love before I'm crucified tomorrow. I know one of you is a devil, and I know every one of you in this room are going to abandon me tonight. But I want you to know this. I love you. And the means and the method by which I choose to do it is to stoop and take the lowest place in the room. And I, your Lord, and your teacher, I'm going to teach you egomaniacs, because if you read the full gospel accounts, they're in a fight going in that room over who should be the greatest. You read it in the gospel. But he said, I, your Lord and teacher, I, if I, you're my men, you ought to learn from me. And I want to teach you in this loving act, this servant act, I want to give you an example that you follow this. So you're never acting like Jesus when you're trying to go up. You may be acting like him when you try to go down. 
Jesus is hard on egomaniacs because you can't promote him and yourself at the same time. So you got to make up your mind who you're going to promote. Then 1 Corinthians 11, 1, just write it down. Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ. So I'm following you not because you've got a big church, you've got a big name, you've got a TV ministry. No, I see Christ in you. I see you following Christ. And to follow you, I'll become more like Christ. Now that's quite a, wouldn't that not be a statement to put on your epitaph? We followed this man and we became more like Christ than we ever dreamed. Is that happening in any sphere? Paul said, follow me. Not because I'll make you successful. I'll make you look more like Jesus. Three, three, Luke 640, 640. Some of the first service, he gave the scripture so quick, that's why you got to take notes. Luke 640. Never read your Bible without a, a journal and without a pen. Your Bible study will improve 100% if you'll always have paper and a pencil and write down your thoughts. He said, anyone who's been fully trained, let's just go there. Don't want you to think I'm making this up. Six, 640. Uh, the student is not above the teacher, but everyone who is fully trained will be like their teacher. Who trained you to live for Christ? And if you've really been trained by them, you've picked up characteristics from them. That's why you get so many seminary guys talk about the prof they had in school, and this one impacted them and that one. Uh, or those early people in your life that perhaps shaped you. And he's just saying the impact of a teacher is that you learn to pick up their habits. And there was a saying they used to say, is the dust of the rabbi on you? Have you followed close enough to the rabbi who is a peripatetic teacher walking around, not necessarily in the synagogue, but just teaching, and disciples were following him, says, did enough of the dust of the rabbi get on you? What is there about you now that says you've been trained by the master teacher? So it seems to be he taught them things to do that he was the example of and showing them how to do it. Look at 1 Peter 2 now. This is a fourth example and the one that I least like in case that helps your Bible study. Who cares what I think? 1 Peter 2. Look what he says here. He starts out, speaking to slaves in verse 18, and there's about 100 million of them in the Roman Empire. When they conquered a country, they enslaved. And so he said, slaves in reverent fear of God, submit yourselves to your masters, not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. For it is commendable if someone bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because they are conscious of God. But how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? But if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, 
This is commendable before God. To this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example for how to get a bonus. Leaving you an example how to become the CEO of the company. Left you an example that you would follow in his steps. And what were his steps? How to suffer when unjustly treated. He committed no sin, and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. And when he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. Christ is my example for how to suffer when treated unjustly. Walk in his steps. Now we go to Philippians 2. He's actually told you in the Bible, I want you to think like my son. Think like my son. Well, how does deity think? Verse 5, Philippians 2, 2-5. A little bit different translation here, but I don't think it will throw you off. In your relationships with one another, that's really interpretive, but he's really saying, and when you have community life with believers, the body of Christ, this is the way I want you to be thinking in that community. Have the same mindset, the same attitude, the same way of thinking, and it's a present tense and it's a command. I am commanding you continuously think this way among yourselves. This is to be the way believers think among yourselves. Some people don't think you have a good church unless you're fighting all the time. Too many yes men. I hear the Bible say, be of like mind. Mind the same things. Not give everybody their way. Are you minding the things of Christ? And when he lists the mind of Christ, he lists seven ways he stooped and he came down. Watch what it says. Who being in very nature God, so he's God, did not consider equality with God something to be held on to at all costs. He wasn't saying, oh, I, I'm deity, but I might lose it. I might lose it. He said, oh, no, I never have to grasp hold of what I am. I am God. And I don't have to hold on to it that I can lose it any moment. No possibility. Then he goes on. Rather, he made himself nothing. Famous arguments. There's been reams of paper written on that one word. It's called the kenosis theory. What did he empty himself of? It said he emptied him. What? Did he give up his deity? Impossible. What did he give up? What did he, he gave up himself? I've heard it illustrated. It's by the time he went to heaven, if you turn the jar of his humanity upside down. There wouldn't be a drop left. He was poured out as much as a human being could. He emptied. I have no more to give. I gave everything I had to give. I emptied myself. I want you to think this way. Don't insult me by that. 
You don't want to be like Jesus? This is how he, want, he commands this church. Because he starts out, listen, if there's any encouragement, then make my joy complete by being like-minded. I want my way. I don't like your way. Are you like Jesus? Let's forget your way. Are you like-minded in God's house, in God's things? Not your way. None of you died to start a church. This church wouldn't exist because of you, nor me. Jesus plants churches. Jesus laid the foundation in his own blood and his own pouring out. So he goes on. He made himself nothing. He took on the nature of a servant, and it means a slave. And the nature, it's interesting. He took on this nature, uh, which means the nature of a servant. He was thinking like a servant before he ever came to the earth. When was Jesus seeing himself as a servant? Before he ever came? Or do you see this? The Father says, it's time for you to go. Do you see it that way? Or the angel says, we'll drag you down there. We know you don't want to go, but we'll drag you to it. He said, I was already thinking like a slave from the foundation of the world. I had already said yes in the divine counsel of the Father and the Spirit. I will go. I want to go, and I will go in your will. I want you Christians to think that way when you're together. I tell you, I've seen more cantankerous. I've seen very few in this church over 47 years. It's been remarkable. But I've seen churches that I just soon join uh, a club, uh, give me uh, access to some gang club as to belong to that hypocritical fellowship. When it's politics, fighting, fighting over this, fighting over that. Fight. Said, I thought the attitude of Christ would be on display. I thought I was among Christians. Hear me. Do you think like Jesus? If you don't, you need to repent or you need to become a born-again child. I asked my dad, how did you know you got saved? He said, I couldn't fight and hurt a boy anymore. I said, well, boy, you growing up where you did. And he said, they always wanted to beat me up when we went to the dances. I was a big farm boy. I was big for my size. And all these barn dances. They'd always, guys would come up, they'd always want to beat me up just because I was big. My wife said, well, Dad, I grew up in Richmond. Surely you're not going to let him beat you up. He said, oh, I was so big. He said, I'd just grab him. And, and I'd hold him. And I looked the boy in the face and said, have you had enough? I said, well, you should have at least smacked him. He said, I met Jesus. I met Jesus. Well, I don't mind meeting Jesus, but I wouldn't mind throwing one punch <laughs> if I thought he's going to hurt me. Yeah, I said, I, I, I've never wanted to hurt anybody since I met Jesus. I saw him in a church testimony. So said, if anybody wants to whip anyone, Dad Howard would like to be the first you hit. Because Jesus is in me. I won't hurt you back. What a testimony to give. That sounds dangerous. He'd care less. 
because Jesus had made the difference in his heart. What about you? Are you still a scrapper? Are you still self-centered? Still all about you? No wonder churches all over America have plateaued. We've been fighting the same attrition rate that's going on across the country. How do you think? Do you think like this? I want to empty myself. I want to become, or the American, you're not telling me what to do. I know my rights. He knew his too. And he gave them up for you. I said he gave them up for you. He couldn't be any more God than he already was, but he sure took a form that didn't look like God. He looked like a slave walking in town, and God sent his best gift, and we sent him back with five wounds. says, he's not good enough. And I don't expect any amen, and you ought to be convicted to your toenails because of our self-centered existence. We need the work of the Spirit of God to say, Help me to think like Jesus. I need the Jesus mindset. Or do you? Or do you? Are you above doing the truth? And he was found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself. That upper room, washing, came obedient to death. Now, let's just simply do this. What was our poverty that he found? I would give you Romans chapter 1 through chapter 3. That's, but then I think of Ephesians 2. And you who were dead in sins and trespasses, has he made alive together with Christ Jesus, who were by nature children of disobedience and objects of divine wrath, you by nature sinned against God. You by nature rebelled against God. You had no hope. You had no Christ. You had no future. Hell was on the docket. You were deserving of every minute in eternity you would be separated from God. And Jesus worked it out with the Father. I'll become poor if you'll save them. I know it will cost me poverty. It will even cost me my life but to set them free from their spiritual poverty, I volunteer for the job. I was dead. I was blind. Well, what riches? He said, he made me rich. I'm still barely making my house payments. I'm still, uh, you know, we're still living in a bad neighborhood. But, but listen, read Ephesians 1. What he said about you and what it cost him his poverty, he said, remember, remember, when I found you and the Father accepted my voluntary poverty, even as a death of a criminal, God has chosen to bless you with all spiritual blessings in Christ Jesus. Matter of fact, I want to let you know he chose you. He was thinking about you before he made stars. You were chosen in eternity past. You were predestined to become adopted as sons. And don't come up here and rip out 
Romans 9, because you don't believe it or understand it, he can choose you in the womb, and he doesn't need your permission. I am a Calvinist. That's what it means. Ain't no happen chance that you got saved. I've been thinking about you from eternity past. I've had you in my plan. And I, part of my poverty, I said, I'm willing to go poor. Will you save this person? Well, what about their will? Well, baloney. God's will comes first. He just lets you in, makes you think it was your idea, but all the time it was his. So you get credit. I believe. You better believe. That's the sign you're in the plan. You must believe. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ now, and he'll save you now without you understanding the election. But you've been chosen, whether you like it or not. You've been chosen. You've been predestined, and most of you can't even spell it. So don't say you don't believe it. He said you were. He said you've been forgiven all your sins because of the blood of Christ. That you've been redeemed from the slave market of sin because of Christ. He said, you've been sealed by the Holy Spirit whom God has put in you. He said in Ephesians 2, you were dead and God who is rich in mercy because of his great love. He has saved you and raised you from the dead. For you know it's by grace you've been saved and the grace was paid for at an old rugged cross because the second member of the Godhead said, I'm going to get as poor as a man can get. Give it to me. Treat me like a piece of trash, but I volunteer to be poor because I can't make a people rich unless I go poor. Now, when you want to figure out your giving, there's your example. Not the preacher, not begging. Jesus is my example. You do remember you were a poor boy at one time. You were in rags. You were sentenced to hell, left unchanged. And then my aunt and uncle used to sing a song. It's an oldie. There was a reason Jesus passed by. And they started singing about the blind man. Never see again. I still hear them singing in Berkeley, California. And David, Ruth, and I hated to go there. It's a bunch of old folks and a bunch of holiness people that can go all day and bore the daylights. But I'll never forget that aunt and uncle singing. Break my heart. I wasn't saved. I wasn't saved. Went to the altar a lot of I went to the altar many times before I ever got saved. I was a hard case. But then they start singing. There was a reason. Where did God find you when he looked you up? You were probably in the middle of a mess. Because most of us don't ever want God until we're in a mess. And what did God say? I only save the clean. I only save people that's got it all together. Or did he say, it's the sick that need a physician. The whole don't need me. And look at you, the pride of man. We got all together. Uh, I might think of you when I'm ready to die. No, no. Think of his poverty, the richest being in all the universe. 
He never, you know, there's a lot of ways rich men lose their money. Bankruptcy, depressions, famine, war, bad management. There's a lot of ways you can be rich and become poor. But no one's ever done it, done it this way. All the way. You know, Pilate got a little cocky with him and said, hey, who do you think you're talking to? I, I happen to be on the uh, legislative committee for Rome to run Palestine. Your life is in my hands. And Jesus said, what you don't know, Mr. Pilate, is no man takes my life from me. Nobody. For you see, I'm king of kings, lord of lords. I could speak you out of existence. I'm here on a mission. If Jesus was handed the offering envelope, what would you do if we got one back that said, I empty myself of all that I am to rescue someone going to hell? What, what's in your hand that you won't give God? Why are we so stingy with our lives and get cocky when we have money? It, it's terrible. I've seen it happen in men. The attitude, everything changes because they're going up they're not wanting to go down. It doesn't matter. I, if God wants to make me a multi-multi-millionaire, I think I could learn to adjust to it <laughs> and still stay spiritual because God doesn't care if you have money. What God cares about is where's your heart with little or much. He loves a widow's might more than man that thinks he's impressing God. That's why in America today, probably the offering bag reveals more hearts than anything we've got. Offerings and service. People could talk, God talk all day. What they give their time to, their body, and finances. That's the, because uh, I think most of you had a warm shower today. Two-thirds of the world didn't have a warm shower this morning. Two-thirds of the world walked on dirt floors this morning. Two-thirds of the world didn't wake up to gas or butane where they could fix breakfast. Two-thirds of this world can't get fresh water without getting dysentery. They're dying left and right, dying. And we're sitting in the lap of luxury, and who knows, who knows when we may crash. Everybody's fearing the market's going to crash again. Oh. Who knows? We had 2008. We had 1930. Who do we think we are that it's all immune from natural disaster? But God said, Corinthians, when you think about helping our poor brothers, don't stoop for a lesser example than Jesus. Let me read you two things. I'm done. Benjamin Moorfield great theologian, he wrote something that when it's time to be good to have nots, poor people, he said, when you did not, dear Christians, some of you pray night and day to be branches of the true vine. You pray to be made all over in the image of Christ. If so, you must be like him in giving. Though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor. Objection one, my money is my own. Answer, Christ might have said, my blood is my own. My life is my own. Then where should we have been? Objection two, the poor are undeserving. Answer, 
Christ might have said, they are wicked rebels. Shall I lay down my life for these? I will give to the good angels. But no, he left the ninety and nine and came after the lost. He gave his blood for the undeserving. Objection three, the poor may abuse it. Answer, Christ might have said the same, yea, with far greater truth. Christ knew that thousands would trample his blood under their feet, that most would despise it, that many would make it an excuse for sinning more, yet he gave his own blood. Oh, my dear friends, if you would be like Christ, give much, give often. Give freely to the vile and poor, the thankless and the undeserving. Christ is glorious and happy, and so will you be. It is not your money I want, but your happiness. Remember his own word. It is more blessed to give than to receive. Remember the battle cry of missions when a German group influenced by Count Zizendorf, began what became known as the Moravians, Hernat, Germany. Up in Germany, this missionary-minded group, one of the first missions-minded groups in church history, they, uh, were being persecuted, and many volunteered for missions. They wanted to reach the West Indies. I thought of you, Chuck. I thought of Clayton and uh, Dominica. Some of our brothers and sisters from those islands. But two of the young Moravians, when they wanted to reach this island where Africans had been shipped from Africa to work in the sugarcane fields, but this property and these slaves happened to be owned by a British atheist who said there will never be a religious service on this island. And if we get anyone coming in here with religion, we'll put them in a house arrest. But there will be no preaching on my island. I own this island. I, owe three, I own 3,000 slaves. They didn't know how they could break the gridlock and they didn't want to see 3,000 black people perish. What they did, the two young men agreed that they would sell themselves into slavery and in personal evangelism try to win these enslaved people since they gave them no privilege to preach, no privilege to be outward witnesses. And so they sold themselves to this atheist landowner and joined the slave community. They slept with them, ate with them, worked in the fields. They became black. They became enslaved. Family members went to the dock uh, from Germany, went down to a port to see them off. And uh, they were weeping. They were emotional. Uh, everything was stripped away from the ship and it began, the tide began to take it out. And uh, as it got out, 
and the view of mom, dads, brothers, and sisters faded. The two young men were seen joining their arms together, and they raised their hands, and this became the Moravian cry. They cried out, May the lamb that was slain receive the reward of his suffering. They went there never to be heard from again. There was no exit. They eventually, after years, both were able to be released by this atheist and went back to Germany to promote missions. I hope that the blood of the Lamb spilt for you that you'll reward him by a loving, giving, stooping, serving, Christ-like thanking for the rest of your life. He paid for no less. All he wants is you. Not just a part. He wants all of your heart. All he wants is you. Why is that so hard for us to get? He wants to think like him, act like him. Love, poor, rich, no matter what category. Love all colors, all that stupid stuff sinners are fighting and wrestling over. Do you think the two young men wasted their life if they only led five slaves to the Lord? Would it have been worth it? I want you to know, was it worth the life of Jesus Christ just to get you? He said it was. I'll become poor if I can get you. I want to give because I'm following the greatest giver, and I'm never happier than when I'm serving, loving. I pulled out for my wife today. I've been keeping giving ledgers since I was 15 because I wanted to not catch God lying to me. He said he would bless me if I'd give. So some offerings for a week with a dollar and a quarter. Uh, sometimes I only had three bucks to give because I was 15, didn't have much money. But I pulled out the one in 1965 when I was just getting ready to go to a Bible college. It, it's humorous if you saw it. I mean, I just paid this bill off, $13.30. Why would you even put that in a ledger? Well, when you only got 200 for the month, that's big stuff. PG was out. PG&E was outrageous then, nearly 14 bucks. But I keep all those ledgers, and I just need my black brothers and sisters to help me sing. He brought me from a mighty long way. I give now 20 times more than any of that. And I'm so wealthy when I get through writing the check, how can it be you can give and still be so rich? Has God blessed any of you? Do you remember when you were in the poverty of sin and he poured out the riches of grace on you, made you alive, made you accepted in the beloved? He said, don't be calling me God anymore. Romans 8, 14 through 16, call me Father. Wait, wait. Angels call me God. They can't call me Father. 
Where did you get that? You mean I've been adopted by deity? Yes. And some of you have got over it so much you can't shout about it. Because the devil wants to keep you in poverty in your mind. You're not thinking, you know, I'm sick of Christians that don't know their riches in Jesus. When will you get it? God has poured on you riches, 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 riches. We are rich in Christ. Let's act like it. Let's act like we know him. The world has nothing to offer you but hell, damnation, and deception. Oh, my lands, I was at a party last night with one of her cousins, and everyone in that place was unsaved. Turn up the music, pour the booze, oh, get, and all they were doing was comparing, I think, the wounds they picked up. Man, they looked kind of rugged, like they'd been through it. And I said, well, yeah, they've been good sinners. You've got to work at it, honey. The way of sin is hard. And we sat there. We were the old ones. She's the oldest cousin. And when we came home, I started singing to her. I don't regret a mile I've traveled for my Lord. I don't remember and I don't forget the time I knelt and trembled at his word. And there's no barroom scars on me because from a kid, from a kid, he saved me. And when I came to this town with no money, he sobered up a guy that became a functional alcoholic, move in my house, live with me. We'll make it some way. There's no money. My dad's dying. God sobers up my brother. He says, you come with me. We will make it together. What he's done for him and Fran, Carol and I from zero, oh, we stagger. We stagger at the grace of God. Our Father, thank you for taking us in our poverty and making us rich in Jesus. Oh, we are rich, rich, rich. You lavished your best on us. Grace, grace, forgiveness, redemption, adoption, Holy Spirit. Oh, I've already got heaven. They've already got a place marked up there in the third heaven. He's seated right in the, yeah, number nine. That's, that's the seat. Angel, move over. That's been reserved for him for eternity. I will be there. Glory to his name. Deliver us from every stingy thought and let us pass on some of these riches to those who are perishing without Christ. It's in the name of my rich, poor, rich Savior, thank you for saving a wretch like me. God bless you. You may go and worship. God bless you.